The following audio is from All Saints Church. For more information about the church, please visit our website at allsaintsgb.org. Our New Testament reading this morning comes to us from the book of Acts, chapter 13. And as they, Paul and Barnabas, went out, the people begged that these things might be told them the next Sabbath. And after the meeting of the synagogue broke up, many Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, who, as they spoke with them, urged them to continue in the grace of God. The next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what was spoken by Paul, reviling him. And Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly, saying, It was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you, since you thrust it aside and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life. Behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. For so the Lord has commanded us, saying, I have made you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing, And glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. And the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region. But the Jews incited the devout women of high standing. And the leading men of the city. Stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas. And drove them out of their district. But they shook off the dust from their feet against them. And went to Iconium. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. God, we thank you for your word. There's a Greek legend that describes a certain athlete who ran well in the race, but he placed second. And the winner of the race was showered with praise, and a statue was put up in his honor. But that second place man had jealousy start to eat away at him. He resented the winner. He was obsessed with this man taking his first place position. And so he decided he was going to destroy that statue of the winner. And so night after night, he went to the statue so as not to be seen, and he went and he just chiseled away at the base of that statue to weaken the foundation. And one night, as he chiseled in rage, he went too far. And the heavy marble statue teetered on its base and then crashed down on the athlete. And he died beneath the weight of the marble replica of the man he had grown to hate. His own jealousy had destroyed him. Theodore Roosevelt was quoted as saying, Jealousy is the thief of joy. Jealousy is the thief of joy. And I have a confession to make to you, church. I'm a very jealous pastor. I didn't know this until more recently, really until I became the pastor of this church body. What makes me a jealous pastor is when I see other churches growing, like astronomically growing, and ours plateauing. And I think, why can't we have what they have? Or when I see churches that have something as simple as permanent pews, and I think, why can't we have what they have? 
I'm a jealous man. And I'm not alone. Our world is incredibly jealous and cutthroat and competitive, aren't we? In our jealousy, we'll compare ourselves to anything and anyone. And that robs us of joy. It steals joy. I'm a pastor, but some of you are parents. How much are you tempted to compare your parental performance or your kid's performance to that of the parenting Facebook legends that are out there? Some of you are performers on the court or on the stage. Some of you are producers or professors or profit makers in your workplaces. How many times do you check your standing compared to one of your competitors? I'm thankful for Acts 13 because it has revealed my heart and I hope it reveals yours as well. Hearts of jealousy. Because jealousy and joy are enemies. I just want to unpack what's going on between jealousy and joy. At the heart of jealousy is an overwhelming desire to possess, to have, to own something that's not yours to own. But at the heart of joy is an overwhelming desire to share, to promote, to offer something that was never ours to begin with, but rather was gifted to us undeservingly, unreservedly, unselfishly. It's the difference between jealousy and joy. And that gift that we have been given, that we have been called to share with the world is the gift of resurrection life given to us by Jesus. We're taking a pause on the book of Acts today. This will be our last time in Acts for a while. But we stop here because this passage leads us and leads the book of Acts to where we live today. The church continuing Jesus' mission through the church to be as witnesses from Jerusalem to Samaria, Judea, to the ends of the earth. That's where this book is taking us, to the ends of the earth. And that's where we're taking a pause. But what we see in this chapter specifically is that jealousy is the roadblock of gospel spread. But joy, joy, I'll say, is the butter by which the gospel spreads. And so we as a church must choose joy over jealousy. Church, we are Christ's light of life to a darkening and dying world. So we must joyfully, not jealously, joyfully share the gift of God's grace. How do we joyfully share the gift of God's grace, which will at the same time combat the jealousy that lives in our hearts. Well, three things I believe this passage reveals to us. And of course, they're alliteration, and hopefully you can remember this. Rest, reveal, and reject. Rest, reveal, and reject. First, rest in the grace of God to face your God. Rest in the grace of God to face your God. Look with me at verses 42 to 46 as I read it again. As Paul and Barnabas went out, the people begged that these things might be told them the next Sabbath. And after meeting 
After the meeting of the synagogue broke up, many Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, who, as they spoke with them, urged them to continue in the grace of God. The next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what was spoken by Paul, reviling him. And Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly, saying, It was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you. But since you thrust it aside and judged yourself unworthy of eternal life, behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. Luke makes mention in verse 42 and verse 44 of this word, Sabbath. He doesn't mention it much in Acts, but here he does. And what is Sabbath? Sabbath is a day of physical rest that God has given to us that we remember and commemorate today on Sunday, but it's more than that. These church people have come back a week later after Paul's preaching to hear more about this Jesus. And almost the whole city, that's a little bit of a hyperbole, but it's packed, it's crowded in this synagogue to hear what Paul is bringing I was imagining this at the Bell and Run yesterday as I stood in the corral waiting, waiting for the race to start, and I'm looking at the thousands of people around me, and I'm imagining, what would it be like for a church to have thousands of people just coming to hear what's being preached there? What is Paul preaching that's drawing them in? What he's preaching to them is an offer of rest. Does this world need rest? Yes, and that's what Paul's preaching, rest. But the Jews, seeing the corrals of people filling, what's going on in them is not rest, it's unrest. They're envious, they're jealous that Paul is offering them something that they're not offering themselves. They've never seen this kind of response in their own preaching, and they're jealous. Paul's sermon, which Graham spoke on last week, is a message all about God's giving salvation in Jesus, how God has gifted Jesus to a people. And so how do we face a holy God? Well, we need to deal with our sin. He's gifted us Jesus, the sacrifice for our sin. How do we face God when we come upon our oncoming death? He's gifted us a resurrected Jesus. How can we make, be made clean and enter into presence with God forever? He's gifted us Jesus who welcomes us in. And for the Jews, that's too easy. That's too good to be true. That's not enough. Jesus is not enough, they think. They've operated with this bootstrap mentality that when you face God, you better have your stuff together. Facing God was fueled for them by comparison. I look better than the Gentile. God's going to love that. I deny myself good things. God's going to love that. I memorize the scriptures. God's going to love that. I'm going to work the Ten Commandments to the nth degree. God's going to love that. I'm going to even Sabbath to the nth degree. God's going to love that. Slowly, they believe their holy meter just grew so that when they stood before God, he's going to love that. But man, is that exhausting and endless because the standard of a holy God is so high and so unmeetable by people that they are going to fail even in their good works miserably. No matter how much we work, we will never meet that standard. We need another option. Enter the gift of grace. Enter the rest of Jesus. 
the only one who did, who even could, or offers the grace to stand before God's face was Jesus, the God-man. Paul and Barnabas in verse 46 are declaring boldly, which is like they're giving a verdict to the Jews. If you don't rest in Jesus, if you continue to work yourselves to death by being holy, you have judged yourself unworthy, unacceptable to receive eternal life. If you believe it's up to you, you will face God and die an eternal death if it's up to you. It can't be up to you. Sabbath rest is a gift offered to you. Rest. Don't thrust it aside for doing it yourself. Receive it. Rest in Jesus and his grace that you can stand and rest in his grace and face God because Jesus was your perfection. He is enough. There's no need for me to do more. No need for me having to be holier than him or her. No more having to wake up to your work week, having to work harder than Jesus. Rest in the grace of God to face your God. Cease striving. Give up trying to so hard and so tirelessly and so joylessly to be someone with whom God will be impressed. He won't be. The only one he's impressed with is Jesus. Rest. In him. This week, I received a text I wasn't expecting. And it read this. Tom's having a heart attack, and he's in surgery right now. Tom's my best friend. 20-some years we've been friends. And I looked at the text, I'm like, no, 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 no. What? What? And we rushed to the hospital. And we waited for him to come out of surgery and for him to come out of what most people don't come out of. His type of heart attack was called a widowmaker. The procedure was successful in opening a 100% blocked artery, sparing his life. And we went back into his ICU room to talk to him after surgery, and he shared a story with me. Be patient with me as I try to share it, because I'm sure I'm going to get emotional. And he said, as they were working on him, he could see the screen with the procedure going on with all of his veins and his arteries next to him. And he said, Chad, I just, I started praying. And he didn't tell me what he was praying, so I had to ask. I'm like, Tom, what were you praying when you were laying on the table? And it was the most beautiful prayer of rest in Jesus. He said with tears in all of our eyes, he said, I was just laying there and I was saying, if it's my time, take me home. And in that instant, Everything went black. They ended up having to do the paddles on him after he prayed that to bring him back. He then put out his hand as I'm standing by his bed. He's like, Chad, will you pray? And I just got on my knees and all I could think to pray was, thank you for the rest and the peace and the hope that you've given Tom and you've given me and you've given Bliss and you've given all of us in Jesus. Where we can look at death on the screen or at our door and face God on the judgment floor and rest in Jesus. I don't have to be afraid. Tom didn't care in that moment whether he had run and won the bell and run. He didn't care if he had made salesman of the year two years in a row, which he had. He didn't care that crowds of people were praising his name. No, what joy to pray and rest on the OR table, that he had Jesus, and Jesus was enough. 
rest in the grace of God to face your God. How else do we joyfully share the gift of God's grace? Secondly, we reveal Christ. We rest and then we reveal Christ as our resurrected rescue. Look at verses 47 to 49. For so the Lord has commanded us, saying, I have made you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. And when the Gentiles heard this, when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. And the word of the Lord was spreading through the whole region. Paul reminds the Jews that they have forgotten their mission as a people of God. He quotes the prophet Isaiah in which Israel was reminded for their reason for existing. Why are you here, Israel? Why are you here, church? To reveal God. To be a light showing and telling the world God's rescue plan for the world. It's Jesus. Salvation, when you see that word, that word means rescue. And the Jewish people and the church... We're the storytellers holding so many stories of resurrected rescue. That's why we're here. The Jews, they experienced rescue from their beginnings. The rescue from Pharaoh, which God provided them so that they weren't dead in the water slaves in Egypt. God rescued them out of that. He rescued Israel from deadly enemies on their way to a promised land. He rescued them from being a rebellious and stubborn people time and again. This little nation of Israel should have been dead already. But throughout the Old Testament, God kept preserving them, kept rescuing them, and kept giving them the promise of an age to come, an age we'd call eternal life, an age where they would not only be rescued from their awful circumstances, but the Messiah, the Messiah would come and give them a trouble-free life forever. How? Through a resurrected rescuer. This resurrected rescuer would be announced in Luke 2 when Simeon, the priest in the temple, holds the baby Jesus in his arms, holds him up, and quotes the same passage that we see here in Isaiah. He says, my eyes have seen your rescue plan. My eyes have seen your resurrected hope. Here he is. Here is the light for the Gentiles and the glory for your people Israel as he holds up the baby Jesus. And as Paul brings judgment against the Jews for thrusting out, for rejecting Jesus and their mission of revealing him to the world, look what happens when Paul brings judgment on the Jews. The Gentiles rejoice and make much of Jesus. They hear the word of the Lord Jesus and they rejoice. Instead of trying to earn their way to God, the Gentiles who believed in Jesus come to life. In verse 48, they are appointed to eternal life. What does that mean? It means that their names are written in the book of life that lists those who are saved by Jesus' grace so that when they stand before the Lord and rest in the grace of God, they will see their name written on that book. The resurrected rescuer is revealed by the preach word and what happens? 
the light becomes brighter, and the gospel spread, verse, gospel spreads, verse 49 tells us. And verse 52 shows us the contrast to the Jews and our jealous tendencies to keep the gospel to ourselves, like God is mine to control and manage. What do you see with the disciples? They were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit as they're living out their mission to be a light for the dark world desperate in need of rescuing. Friends, evangelism, revealing Jesus to the world, being a light, has to come from the joy that we've received. We're not here to strong arm and sales pitch people to be convinced of Jesus. We are called to reveal him as our antidote to death. As the rescuer to us who were drowning. As the good news shared with someone who believes I was in the worst possible shape. That's where our motivation comes from. I had a dream a few weeks ago that I wanted to share with you to illustrate a picture. I believe God showed me about what it looks like to be a revealer, to be a light of the resurrected rescuer of Jesus. And in my dream, in my dream, I was Chad in the present tense. I was me and my 50-year-old self, but I came upon my now wife, Bliss, who was still in the dream in the past tense. It was her in her 20s. So I was 50, she was 20. And we were friends, but we had, when we were friends, we had no idea we were going to end up together as, as a married couple. And so I knew, based on the way in which she was dressed and based on her haircut that she had, that this was the bliss I knew way, way back. And we were just friends. And as she looked at me in the dream with kind of confused eyes, like, what are you doing here? She had no idea. But in my heart, this is what was going on for me in the dream, I was so excited to share something she had no earthly idea was possible. I revealed to her a future hope. And with joy, I shouted to her. I'm like, Bliss, you're going to be my wife. Bliss, we're going to have three amazing boys. And her confusion immediately turned to joy as she just grabbed hold of me and we embraced. Friends, evangelism is like how I felt in that dream. Where what we have to share is so good, so amazing, so unbelievable that I, I can't keep this to myself. My wife was like the Gentiles who had no idea the life that was ahead of them. But when she heard of it, she rejoiced and made much of the word that she'd just been told. It won't always be that response. See the jealous Jews in this passage. They don't like this. But that can't stop us, church, from living on mission as a revealer of a resurrected rescuer. Why do we make sharing the good news into such bad or at least boring news? This is the best news ever. <laughs> I'm alive. I was dead. I'm alive. Reveal the life that is to come. It's ours because of Jesus. Eternal life is ours because of Jesus. So we rest in the grace. We reveal the rescuer. And finally, we reject anything. Reject anything that makes Jesus less than everything. Verses 50 to 52. But the Jews incited the devout women of high standing 
and the leading men of the city stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and drove them out of their district. But they, Paul and Barnabas, shook off the dust from their feet against them and went to Iconium. Hard hearts who believe it's up to themselves to be rescued. Hard hearts who are unwilling to give away what they have. They'll go to great lengths to get Jesus out of the neighborhood. And you see the Jews using powerful, holier-than-thou women and probably these women's husbands who are of high standing in the community. They use these people to intimidate, beat, berate Paul and Barnabas out of town. These men and women, they're the power players of Antioch of Pisidia. And they organize their peeps together to make Paul and Barnabas pay. We need to recognize that when there is this kind of flagrant opposition and resistance to the gospel, friends, you don't need to keep pounding the pavement by getting louder and angrier. No. What we need to do is walk away. Anything that makes Jesus less than everything must be rejected. The shaking of the dust off their sandals is a symbol of rejection that's prescribed by Jesus in Luke 9 and 10. If they don't believe, then this is the way you publicly call them unbelievers. By shaking off the dust. Paul and Barnabas call these organized mafia Jews, these, these supposed representatives of God's people, he gives them the worst insult to them by shaking the dust off. He basically says to them, you are Gentiles. You are not people of God, is what he's telling them. It's the worst insult they could receive. They're Gentiles now to him. Paul will come back to this place later in Acts, but why? Because he remembers his mission to be a light to the Gentiles, which includes these Jews. Friends, we are missionaries not only to those outside of the church, but also to those who are inside of the church. Because there is going to, you're going to find this kind of thing, specifically this kind of thing that tries to add something to Jesus, you're going to find that in the church more than you're going to find that outside the church. It seems like a harsh posture to, to shake the dust off, but it is a necessary one. You can't be rescued without Jesus, and you can't add anything else to your rescue beyond Jesus. If you hear in your heart, friends, something like this, I've messed up again when you see your sin. I've messed up again. I better clean up my mess because then God will be okay with me. Reject that. Off the dust, off your feet. Reject it. If you hear in this pulpit any message that says you can be rescued by being a holy prayer warrior or by leading someone to Jesus or by having a better track record than the person sitting next to you, reject it. It's not true. And if you see any way in which you are behaving toward Gentiles, toward those still not believing in Jesus with some plan other than faith in Jesus, if you're trying to give them church attendance or don't swear or stop drinking, reject it. Jesus alone is our resurrection and our rescue. Jesus alone, not your behavior. I want to charge you, church, with your mission of being a light to the Gentiles, to the nations. And how you love the nations, how you love Gentiles. Love them with the same grace 
and the same gifting you've been given. Give up jealously possessing Jesus like he's yours to hoard and share him like he's shared himself with you. Celebrate the victory of other churches seeing conversions and Gentiles becoming family, family members of God. Celebrate that. And ask God to give you eyes to see the Gentile as he saw you, a valued one made in his image. I'll close with this story. I was given permission to share from one of our people, and it's a beautiful picture of God's redirecting us on our mission to be Christ's light of life in this world. I'm just going to read it verbatim. During my morning prayers, I prayed that I might study and delight in your perfect works. Today at Woodman's, I saw a person with a mask on, and I judged her. Then I remembered she's a child of God. And I looked right at her, and I said in my mind, child of God. Then as I passed each and every person, I thought to myself, child of God, child of God. Child of God, child of God. And I truly looked at them. It was amazing and a bit overwhelming. I could see each person uniquely as individuals with worth, loved by the Lord with potential and gifts and struggles. I was studying them and delighting in them. It was beautiful to get a small glimpse of people as God sees them. Friends, reject the belief that because you've been rescued from this dark world, that you are no longer in this world to love the world. You are still here. You are Christ's restorative presence in this world. So remember your mission, all saints, in Woodman's and in the world, that we are Christ's light of life to a dying world joyfully share the gift of God's grace, Jesus Christ, who gave you rest. Reveal him and reject any other ways that are not him. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for your word and thank you for the gift of the grace that we have in it. That your word is, is Christ spoken. And we pray, Father, that we as a people would continue to walk and live in revealing Christ to the world by resting in the grace that we've been given. Help us to reject false ways, additions to the gospel, and help us to, again, be a people at rest in a world that is trying so hard to prove its worth. We pray that your spirit would be at work in this small church as it is in the mega churches around the world, that we'd be communicating and revealing our rescuer Jesus with joy. We pray this all in his name. Amen.